Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here. Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me, if you have them, to Jeremiah 29, uh, the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29. Uh, as most of you realize, and but just in case you don't, we're in the middle of a series right now called Seeking to Know, in which we're exploring the idea of of understanding and pursuing God's will for our lives. If you've missed any of the parts of the series that we've already done, I encourage you to go online and listen because the study builds on itself. And what we've already talked about um, is pertinent to the ongoing conversation. But last week, for example, we noted that when faced with certain decisions in life and when there's no clear right or wrong way to go, uh, as flawed, finite human beings, uh, we need wisdom you know, to make good, healthy, productive choices. And the beauty is God offers us that very thing. And so we talked about acquiring wisdom and, and applying it to our lives, especially uh, in regard to decision-making. And as I've been thinking more and more about it, you know, I'm convinced that most, if not all of us in the room, want to make good, wise, God-honoring decisions. But I wonder if some of us struggle to do that because, well, because we're sort of haunted you know, by the not-so-good choices of the past. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like the shame, the guilt, the regret, and maybe even the consequences of some poor decisions uh, uh, have us stuck, unsure, and unable to move ahead. And so uh, I want to begin this morning by reminding us something that God said to the Israelites, who were often spiritually rebellious uh, and made some unwise and just you know, some bad decisions that carried uh, serious repercussions. One resulted in the nation being carried off in exile to Babylon a place where the people most certainly didn't want to be. And it was in the midst of that situation, God offers the people this message of hope. He says to them, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. I mean, the first thing God says to his people is, hey, trust me. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. And we talked about the sovereignty of God a few weeks ago. But the follow-up comment that God makes is quite remarkable because he says to the people, hey, no matter, no matter your rebellion, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter the poor choices that you've made, no matter where you find yourselves right now, God says, I'm offering you hope for the future. You know, Call to me and I will answer. I'll listen. Seek me and you will find me, God says. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that with you. Before we do, let's pray. Our Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to be here this morning, and uh, Lord, I'm confident that it is not by accident you've brought us to this place, and that you have a message for each of us, and for us as a people. And so I pray that you would remove any obstacles that would keep us from hearing that message and that truth. May this be a moment of reflection, may it be a moment of learning, may it be a moment of decision. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I've recently read a number of uh, interesting studies done by experts uh, all around the world on a variety of subjects. It seems like a whole bunch of studies have come out just over the last couple of weeks. I thought you guys might find some of the results uh, not only interesting but helpful. And uh, these are actual scientific uh, studies that have been done. For example, according to zoologists at the University of Portsmouth, England, when participating in children's games, Gorillas use unfair tactics. 
Surprise, surprise, right? I mean, you can't trust them. They're cheaters. So uh, keep that in mind the next time you sit down to play Candyland or Shoots and Ladders with a 500-pound silverback. Right, so that's helpful information. Uh, recent studies done at universities in the Czech Republic and in Germany found that certain dog breeds tend to align themselves with the Earth's magnetic field when going to the bathroom. In other words, they, they, this is true, they orient themselves to magnetic north. Now, I don't know about your dog, if you have one, but uh, I've been watching mine lately. I'm pretty sure she hasn't read the study and doesn't seem to care one way or the other. Um, marketing research done by the University of Salento in Italy indicates that men with facial hair are more credible to consumers when endorsing products like cell phones, toothpaste, and cleaning equipment, but are less credible when selling underwear. There goes my aspirations to work with Fruit of the Loom. You know, that's going to be good. And then there's a study, just, this one just came out uh, out of Finland, that suggests cynical people have a higher risk of heart disease, cancer, and dementia than those who are not cynical, which means I'm in serious trouble because I don't believe any of it. You, know? you, you get that, right? You get that joke? <laughs> the first hour, we're like, what did he just say? I don't know what that means. But the study I, I really wanted to point out to you was this study that's being, this is a study being done at the University of Queensland in Australia, where researchers are exploring the possibility of traveling back in time. You know, an idea that has captivated physis, uh, physicists and philosophers for decades. The study is based on Einstein's theory of general relativity, which describes gravity as the warping of space-time by energy and matter, i.e., uh, a powerful enough gravitational field uh, produced by a spinning black hole could, in principle, profoundly warp the fabric of existence so that space-time bends back on itself, creating a closed curve that could be traveled in reverse. You guys follow that? <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'd love to explain it in detail, but I only have a few minutes, so we need to move forward. But here's the point. <clears throat> it is fascinating to me how the idea of traveling back in time is so intriguing, not just to academics, not, you know, not just to physicists and philosophers, but to average people like you and me. I mean, Hollywood knows this. Hollywood's picked up on this, which is why a number of movies out this year deal with time travel. Uh, the Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt, uh, Mr. Peabody and Sherman, you know, uh, uh, Interstellar that's coming out in November with Matthew McConaughey. Another movie coming out is Project Almanac. All these films carry the storyline that assumes if someone could travel back in time and change the past, their future would be changed as well. You know, sure, it's all fantasy, but uh, I think it's a fantasy many of us would like to turn into reality, right? I mean, imagine that. Imagine what it would be like to step back in time and alter things, you know, correct mistakes, change the worst decisions we've ever made. If that were possible, then the death row inmate would travel back in time and not pull the trigger. The high school dropout would go back and attend class and get a diploma. Uh, the failed marriage would never take place. Uh, the crippling accident would be avoided. The addictive drugs would never be experimented with. The slandering fool would keep his mouth shut. Uh, last evening's one-night stand wouldn't happen. Missed opportunities would be seized. Every bad decision reversed. Now think about it. If scientists discovered a way for you to travel back in time, whether it's years, days, or even hours, 
and change one thing about your life, what would you change? What would it be? You know, it's a sad feeling to long for a life that could have been but will never be. And yet some people struggle with that feeling every single day. And maybe some of us feel that way, you know, like we've missed out on life's best. You know, we've missed out on God's best. You know, from your perspective, God had a plan for you to be uh, happily married or to, to, to have a high-earning job or to be a positive influence in the community. He wanted you to live a good, healthy, productive life. You had the chance, but you blew it. You missed the opportunity. You made a bad choice or a series of unwise decisions. Uh, and now there's no going back. And so you, so you wonder, you know, is there hope for the future or will I just go to the grave with guilt and regret over what might have been? Listen, you know, through this series, we've, we've talked about the sovereign will of God, the moral will of God, the, per, uh, the personal will of God, right? And we, we've learned that most of what we need to know about living a good, healthy, productive life is clearly revealed in Scripture. And if it's not, God invites us to ask for wisdom. Uh, and we've talked a lot about um, how much God loves us and he wants the best for us and he has a plan for our lives. But here's the question. What if, what if we ignored or defied God's moral will and refused to ask for wisdom. And so we just did what we wanted. We just, we just did our own thing. Is it too late for God's best? I mean, what if, what if we remained in that unhealthy relationship? What if we married the wrong person, pursued the wrong career, made unhealthy and destructive choices that haunt our lives and memories right up into this very moment? Before we go any further, here are a couple things uh, to keep in mind. First, don't confuse the difficulties of life with missing God's will. You know, too many people assume that life is supposed to be fun and easy and comfortable all the time. And so when it's not, when things get hard, they feel cheated and they look for somebody to blame. Some blame God, many blame others, a few blame themselves. But the fact is, life is hard for everybody. I quote this verse a lot because I think we need to let it sink in and, you know, and, and understand its reality. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble, and that's true. Everybody has problems. Everyone experiences pain. Everyone uh, at times is confused, disappointed, uh, facing difficulties. In fact, in fact, in some cases, pursuing the moral will of God, pursuing... pursuing um, what is right and good, what God says is right and good, being obedient is the hardest thing to do and actually leads to trouble and inconvenience and maybe even something like persecution. We also need to understand that the will of God is, is more about how we live than just about the situation in which we find ourselves. In other words, maybe we shouldn't worry so much about whether we married the wrong person but instead focus on how we can love the spouse we've chosen rather than obsessing on whether we've pursued the wrong career, maybe we need to concentrate on how, how to do our job well right now, how to represent Jesus in the work environment we find ourselves. Instead of agonizing over not having enough money, maybe we should determine if we're handling what we do have in a way that's honoring to God and helpful to others and making a difference in the world. Now keep in mind, God says little or nothing about who exactly to marry, what to do for a living, how much money to make. But he says an awful lot about how husbands and wives are to love one another and treat each other with mutual respect and submission. How to be a good friend. 
how to work and live with integrity and generosity. God talks about those things specifically. But for perhaps the biggest thing we need to keep in mind is really the most obvious, right? The past is the past. It can't be changed. No matter how great our mistakes or intense our regret, there's nothing we can do to alter what's happened, which is why God calls us to live wise, godly lives right now, today. And yet that's not always easy because of things like shame, guilt, and regret. Keep, they keep us from moving forward. So, I mean, let's be honest about it. If we think back over our lives, I'm sure each of us know that at some point along, along the way, we violated the moral will of God. In other words, we've rebelled against what God says is right and good and healthy and best for us as human beings. We've either done exactly what God said not to do or we have refused to do what God says we should do. Basically, we've all made bad, unwise, and sinful choices. I certainly have. And so the question becomes, how can I, how can you, how can we move beyond the shame, the guilt, the regret, uh, and gain a sense of hope for the future? Uh, and, you know, to keep this really practical, let's make, it, let's make it even more personal. Think specifically, is there a specific experience or area in your life or decision you have made in the near or distant past where you missed the moral will of God. You willfully, rebelliously chose to sin and violate God's commands. And there's regret. And there's guilt. Well, keep that experience in mind as we identify some steps to take toward gaining hope for the future. The first is repentance. Which I know for some is a scary kind of puritanical word conjuring up images of theatrical weeping and groveling before God. I get that. But... Here's the reality. Repentance simply means recognizing and admitting we're wrong and being genuinely sorry for our sinful actions and attitudes whereby we commit to turn and go in a different direction. In other words, repentance isn't just a, a simple prayer we offer or a change of mind or even a change of heart. It is a change of behavior. In his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, well-known pastor and author Eugene Peterson writes, repentance is not an emotion. It's not just feeling sorry for sins. It is a decision we make to change. Christian author and thinker C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, repentance is not something God demands of you before he will take you back in which he could let you off if he chose. It is simply a description of what going back to him is like. If you ask God to take you back without it, without repentance, you're really asking him to let you go back without going back. It cannot happen. I mean, repentance is basically a U-turn. Instead of moving away from God and ignoring his will, you turn and move toward him uh, and choose to give him his rightful place in your life. The Apostle Paul explained to Christians in the early church, he said, look, being sorry is okay, you know, Being sorry for what you've done is fine, but he says, you know, it should be godly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings about repentance. It brings change. This is repentance that leads to salvation, leaves no regrets. He says, but worldly sorrow, just feeling bad about something, brings death. Brings no change. He writes, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. He's writing to Christians. He says, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Here's my Ray K. summary. True repentance turns your world around. 
It turns your life around. I mean, look, there's no secret about it. I mean, we all know we live in a culture that in so many ways promotes a, a victim mentality, you know, whereby whatever the case may be, whatever it is, it's, somebody, it's always somebody else's fault. And that's what makes biblical repentance so hard for us today because it requires taking responsibility for ourselves and for our, our choices. It's, it's more than just feeling bad that things turned out poorly. It's admitting when we're wrong and acknowledging it's our fault. That kind of genuine repentance, I tell you what, can bring about a powerful transformation. Now, one day Jesus told a story that's become known as the story of the prodigal son. Most of you are probably familiar with it, but just in case, case you're not, it's a story about a young man who in rebellion runs away from his father and, and embraces a life of wild, just reckless, immoral behavior. I mean, he just goes crazy. You know, he goes off the deep end. Eventually, he hits the bottom, and uh, alone and destitute, he recognizes the error of his ways. And uh, in Jesus' words, he came to his senses, and so he admitted he was wrong. He, he made bad choices, ones that offended, wounded, and disappointed his father. He blamed himself. He blamed no one else but himself and uh, humbly repented of his sin. Uh, but just for the record, there are two sons in that story. There's the young disobedient son, the wild guy, you know, who gets all the attention. But there's also the older son who wasn't, who wasn't blatantly rebellious, but he was subtly sinful. He was arrogant. He was bitter, jealous, judgmental, disrespectful, condemning, merciless, ungrateful, entitled, unloving, and incredibly self-righteous, much like many in the religious community of Jesus' day. Make no mistake about it in this story, blatant rebellion and subtle self-righteousness both offended, wounded, and disappointed the Father. Both were sinful. Both called for repentance. Who am I more like? It's a good question to ask myself. Who are you more like? Which son? The outwardly rebellious or the religiously self-righteous? Maybe it's time that we're honest about who we are and what we've done to offend, wound, and disappoint our Heavenly Father and take responsibility for it and repent. Is that going to be hard? Sure, it's hard. It requires we admit being wrong. Yet repentance is the key that unlocks the prison door of the past and opens the way to freedom and a whole new life with God. And as we've already said, repentance isn't just a quick prayer or a change of attitude. It is an action. It is a decision. It is a change of behavior. The next step toward gaining hope for the future is returning. You know, with the, uh, when the prodigal son came to his senses, Jesus said he got up and he returned to, to his father. And the, if you know the story, the coolest part of the story is that before this kid even gets home, uh, his father runs out to greet him. Uh, Jesus said, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. He throws a big party, big celebration. I mean, the imagery of, of this loving father is just so rich and, and moving. And in some ways, it shouldn't surprise us because the father in the story represents God who we're told loves us, his children, 
in the same way, with the same level of intensity. In the Old Testament, God made this promise to his people. He said, return to me and I will return to you. The Old Testament prophet Joel affirmed it. He says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding, abounding in love. By the way, in Jesus' story, the father also went out, also went out to greet the older son who was out in the field just angry and was, who was in, in judgment of and in bitterness toward his brother. And he refused to return home even at the pleading of his father. Refused it. Which tells me that the arrogance and sin of self-righteousness is a pretty tough thing to overcome. But here's the deal. Um, in our brokenness, we're all sinful. And we're all called to repent. And we're all invited to return to the Father who loves us and is willing to forgive us. The, the third step in gaining hope for the future is reparation. Again, in Jesus' story of the two sons, after his father embraces him, the young man, says, young man says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Which is an important statement. It's an important admission because whether we're talking about God or talking about people in our lives, our sinful choices tend to negatively impact others. In many cases, those around us get either directly hurt or they suffer the collateral damage of our bad decisions. And if that's, if that's true, then we must do our best to repair what we've done, what we've destroyed. Now, obviously, that involves asking God for forgiveness, but it also requires you know, going to the person we've offended or wounded, either directly or indirectly, and apologizing. Maybe it's a friend, maybe... Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a coworker, maybe uh, it's a neighbor, a leader, ex-husband, ex-wife, teacher, fellow student. I don't know who it is. It could be anyone. But more often than not, our sinful choices impact people in hurtful and unhealthy ways, and we need to deal with that. We need to deal with that. However, here's the reality. God is always willing to listen and forgive. Broken, wounded people, unfortunately, are not. But still, it's our, it's our responsibility to try our best to bring healing to the relationship. And so um, an apology may be warranted. And it may call for a meeting with the person. If a meeting can't be put together, a phone conversation might, might, might have to take place. If those aren't possible, you can send a letter or a message through a mutual party. But the apology needs to be tendered and personally is better than the other options. In some instances, repair involves more than just an apology. It may require restitution, paying back what was taken or fixing what was broke. Uh, in, the, um, in, the old, in the New Testament, there's a guy named Zacchaeus who he was a first century uh, tax collector. And he was, he, was a, he was a Jewish guy, but he worked for the Romans. And the tax collectors of the time, they weren't all that honest. They would, they would take money from people, and then they would pay off the Romans what, they were, what the Romans were demanding, and they'd keep the rest. And so uh, they, they stole from their own people, and so they were, they were hated. And the day that he met Jesus and he heard Jesus teach, uh, he, he immediately repented of what he had done, and he promised to make things right. Zacchaeus said, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount, which is pretty admirable, right? But Zacchaeus' action doesn't mean we have to give half of our possessions away or repay 400% of what we've stolen. What it does mean 
is that we, we should also do whatever is necessary to repair the damage we've inflicted or the loss that we've caused. Now, as we're talking about this, who comes to your mind? Is there, is there someone you need to go to and make things right? Offer an apology? Offer forgiveness? Repayment? How about this? Do you need to repair someone's damaged reputation that resulted from your gossip or slander? Now, before you go and attempt to make reparation, here's a couple things to, to consider. First, don't try and fix something that isn't broken. I mean, let's say that you've harbored evil thoughts and negative opinions about someone that you know, but that person is unaware of your attitude. It's probably not a good idea to go to that person and say, look, I've always thought of you as a real loser. You know, I, <laughs> you're such a jerk. I've thought of you as a manipulator, and, I, you know, ah, oh, man, that's just, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, confessing that judgmental, unloving attitude to God, appropriate. Expressing it to the person who's oblivious is not necessary and certainly not wise. Don't do something that'll make matters worse. Like um, if your relationship with your parents is really strained and in need of some repair, that's going to require um, some painful confession on your part. Uh, don't try and deal with the issue on their golden wedding anniversary. Do you know what I'm saying? If you have to, if you have to go share with a friend some hard things, and uh, don't do it on the, at their birthday party. You know, it's not. That's probably not going to be helpful. So pick an appropriate time, an appropriate place. Also, and this is key one, don't do what's easiest for you. Do what's right and best for others. In short, do whatever you can to right the wrong, to bring healing to the relationship, to make things better for the person or the persons that you've harmed. Let me tell you something. Jesus was serious about this. He was very serious about this. He was talking to his followers one day. He said, look, if you have an issue with somebody either maybe because you've wounded them or you hurt them or somehow they've hurt you. If you have an issue with someone, before you come and worship, he says, you put your, you put your offerings, you put your t- singing tune, you put all that aside. You go and you make it right. If you've, if you've wounded someone, you go and apologize. If they've wounded you, go and offer them forgiveness. It's always your turn. It's always your turn. He says, then come back and worship. But with that said, here's reality. Some things can't be fixed or changed. Some relationships cannot be completely restored. A murderer can't bring back their victim. An ugly divorce 20 years ago is most likely not going to be reconciled. But the principle remains. If we have sinned against God or others, if we've made poor destructive choices that have not only impacted us but negatively affected those around us, we need to repent of what we've done, return to God, and do our best to make reparations. And then the fourth and final step toward gaining hope for the future is renewal. In other words, moving forward and experiencing God's best for our future. Some people might call it plan B, uh, which I guess is okay in the sense that it would have been better to do what God wanted in the first place, but we should never think of God's present will for our lives as second rate. God has a sovereign, perfect plan for your life right now and for the future. Think of it this way. If God wanted you to be a pastor and you chose to be a production manager instead, then be the best production manager you can and care for and shepherd the people around you. If you, 
if you believe God wanted you to remain single, but you went ahead and got married, then try and build the best and most healthy marriage you can with your husband or wife. If you know God wants you to honor your body, but you have abused it with drugs and alcohol and maybe some immoral behavior, stop it. Stop abusing your body. Get help. And then set out to assist others who find themselves in a similar situation. If God wanted you to be honest and you chose to steal something, give it back. And if you have to pay the consequences, so be it. And if that involves doing some time in jail, then live for Jesus behind the bars as best you can. Do you you see what I'm getting at? The most important issue regarding the future is not what happened in the past, but what we do right now going forward. And when, you know, whenever I think about this, this notion of a plan B life, I can't help but think about the Old Testament prophet Jonah, who was, who has become pretty famous for an unexpected expected fish encounter at sea that he had. But Jonah's experience before and after the fish is really what's most significant. And m- most of you may know the story. In case you don't, God told this guy Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh and to bring his message of love, grace, and forgiveness to the people who are there. Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. He didn't want to go tell them anything about God's love and grace. So he boarded a ship, headed you know, headed off in the opposite direction, deliberately disobeying God's expressed will for him. So what happened? God intervened. That's what happened. He blew up a storm at sea, got Jonah tossed off a boat, swallowed by a giant sea creature, and ultimately vomited up on dry ground in the right direction. Yeah, here's my Reiki summary. God got Jonah to Nineveh. He got him there. Some might call it that journey plan B, but it actually accomplished what plan A originally intended for God's message of grace and compassion to reach a lost sinful uh, people who needed to hear it. Think again of the ancient Israelites who knew it was God's will to avoid the sin of idolatry and be loyal only, only to him, but the people rebelled and suffered the consequences. They were invaded and carried off by the Babylonians as prisoners of war. Yet God's plan was always to to, to favor his people, to show them favor. So he said to those in captivity, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. And get this. He says, I will bring you back from captivity. I will rescue you. And what about, what about the prodigal son? As rebellious as he was, when he repented and returned, he was welcomed home with open arms. No matter where he had gone, no matter what he had done, his father was anxious to extend grace and give his very best to the child he loved. Why? Because this child was once dead, but is now alive. He was once lost, but now he's found. No matter matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done in the past, long time ago or just hours ago, God loves you and wants the best for you. That's the truth. Man, that's the truth. It's, a true, it's true for all of us. And if he has to send a storm our way to get us where we need to be, you know what? He'll do it. If he has to allow us to be carried off to a foreign land in order to get our attention, he'll do it. And if he needs to welcome us home from a life of just total disaster and willful disobedience, he will willingly do it. Why? 
because he is a loving and gracious father whom we can trust. And when we mess up, make bad choices, when we sin, the good news is we can repent, we can return, we can repair and be renewed. For God is a God of hope, ready to forgive. He is the God of second chances. And uh, we all certainly need them. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray this morning that each of us would be um, willing um, to be honest with you and ourselves this morning. We would have the courage to do that. And um, in those areas of our life where we have been rebellious, just blatantly rebellious, just disregarding what you say is right and good and healthy and safe and best for us, and we're just, we have just done our own thing. I pray that we would not only feel sorry for that, but that sorrow would lead to true repentance, where we make the decision to turn from those things and to follow you in obedience, to do what is right. Or maybe the sin of our lives is religious self-righteousness, which is so ju judgmental and, and bitter and harsh, feeling so much, so, so good about ourselves, feeling, having this inflated idea of who we are, um, whereby it makes us look down on others. That requires your forgiveness as well. And, uh, and so I pray that that we would face that reality if it's in our life and we would ask for you and we would repent of that and turn away from it. But in all these things, Lord, I, I pray that this morning we would, we would trust you knowing that you love us and knowing that we're, we're willing to turn, we're willing to run to you, we're willing to repair what needs to be repaired so that we might find a renewed relationship with you, our God willing to do it because we know, Lord, we know that you are a God of second chances, and we all need them. We love you this morning. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand, John. So God said to his people, return to me, and I will return to you. Seek me, and you will find me, if you seek me with all your heart. Um, that is the message of Christianity. You know, it's not a message of of your hard work or your efforts at being good because we all fail. We all make mistakes. We all make poor decisions. We're all, by nature, rebellious. And some of us self-righteous. And God calls us to repent of those things, to change from them. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to live the life you and I could never live, the perfect life we could never live. And he died the death we deserve to die so that we can return to God and receive his love and grace and um, yet even when we do that we, we realize that okay now we're, we're part of the God's family we still make decisions that impact our relationship with our Heavenly Father and we need to deal with those whatever they might be and uh, my hope is that for us as a people we'll have the courage to do that to do what is right and what is good and what is healthy and what is best not just for ourselves and not you know and, and not just for others 
but we do it because God says this is what's, what's good for you. And we'll trust Him. And He is trustworthy. And I certainly am grateful that He is He's given us second chances. Because I know I certainly, I certainly need them. And 